Why so serious? It is only through mystery and madness that the soul is revealed. Thomas More Greetings, morning, and a top of the mortal to you all. I'm Library of Gnosis. Welcome back to Simon. Divine Madness, also known as Theomania and Crazy Wisdom, refers to unconventional, outrageous, unexpected or unpredictable behavior linked to religious or spiritual pursuits. It is usually explained as a manifestation of enlightened behavior by persons who have transcended societal norms, or as a means of spiritual practice or teaching among mendicants and teachers. These behaviors may seem to be symptoms of mental illness to mainstream society, but are a form of religious ecstasy, or deliberate, strategic, purposeful activity by highly self-aware individuals making strategic use of the theme of madness in the construction of their public personas. To the extent that Christianity of this time lacks madness, it lacks divine life. Take note of what the ancients thought us in images. Madness is divine. But because the ancients lived this imagery concretely in events, it became a deception for us, since we became masters of the reality of the world. Carl Jung, The Red Book According to June McDaniel and other scholars, divine madness is found in the history and practices of many cultures and may reflect religious ecstasy or expression of divine love. It is not the ordinary form of madness, but a behavior that is consistent with the premise of a spiritual path or a form of complete absorption in God. Jörg Fürstein lists the 9th century Sam poet Hanshan as having divine madness, explaining that when people would ask him about Sen, he would only laugh hysterically. <laughs> the 15th century Sen master Ikuyu used to run around his town with a human skeleton, spreading the message of the impermanence of life and the grim certainty of death. According to Feuerstein, similar forms of abnormal social behavior and holy madness is found in the history of the Christian saint Isadora. Saint Isadora was a Christian nun and a saint of the 4th century AD. She is considered among the earliest fools for Christ. Foolishness for Christ refers to behavior such as giving up all one's worldly possessions upon joining an ascetic order or religious life, or deliberately flouting society's conventions to serve a religious purpose, particularly of Christianity. Such individuals have historically been known as both quote-unquote holy fools and blessed fools. The term fool connotes what is perceived as feeble-mindedness, and blessed or holy refers to innocence in the eyes of God. The term fool for Christ derives from the writing of Saint Paul. Fools for Christ often employ shocking and unconventional behavior to challenge accepted norms, deliver prophecies, or to mask their piety. Certain prophets of the Old Testament who exhibited signs of strange behavior are considered by some scholars to be the predecessors to fools for Christ. The prophet Isaiah walked naked and barefoot for about three years, predicting a forthcoming captivity in Egypt, 
The prophet Ezekiel lay before a stone, which symbolized beleaguered Jerusalem. And though God instructed him to eat bread baked on human waste, ultimately he asked to use cow dung instead. Quote, And you shall eat the food as you would a barley cake, after you bake it over dried human excrement in the sight of the people. Then the Lord said, This is how Israelites will eat their defiled bread among the nations to which I will banish them. Ah, Lord God, I said, I have never defiled myself. From my youth until now, I have not eaten anything found dead or mauled by wild beasts. No unclean meat has ever entered my mouth. Look, he replied, I will let you use cow dung instead of human excrement, and you may bake your bread over that. End quote. This is probably one of the most bizarre Bible quotes I have ever read. By the opinion of certain scholars, these prophets were not counted as fools by the contemporaries, as they just carried out separate actions to attract people's attention and to awaken their repentance. According to Christian ideals, foolishness included consistent rejection of worldly cares and imitating Christ, who endured mockery and humiliation from the crowd. The spiritual meaning of foolishness from the early ages of Christianity was close to unacceptance of common social rules of hypocrisy, brutality, and thirst for power and gains. By the words of Anthony the Great, quote, Here comes the time when people will behave like madmen, and if they see anybody who does not behave like them, they will rebel against him and say, You are mad, because he is not like them. End quote. Part of the biblical basis for it can be seen in the words of Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. And also, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catcheth the wise in their craftiness. 1 Corinthians 3.19 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what he preached to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians 1.21 The story of the temptation clearly reveals the nature of the psychic power with which Jesus came into collision. It was the power-intoxicated devil of the prevailing Caesarean psychology that led him into dire temptation in the wilderness. This devil was the objective psyche that held all the people of the Roman Empire under its sway. And that is why it promised Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth, as if it were trying to make a Kaiser of him. Obeying the inner call of his vocation, Jesus voluntarily exposed himself to the assaults of the imperialistic madness that filled everyone, conqueror and conquered alike. 
In this way, he recognized the nature of the objective psyche, which had plunged the whole world into misery, and had begun a yearning for salvation that found expression even in the pagan poets. Far from suppressing or allowing himself to be suppressed by this psychic onslaught, he let it act on him consciously and assimilated it. Thus was world conquering Caesarean transformed into spiritual kingship and the Roman Empire into the universal kingdom of God that was not of this world, called Young. In his book Holy Fools in Byzantium and Beyond, Ivanov described holy fool as a term for a person who quote-unquote feigns insanity, pretends to be foolish, or who provokes shock or outrage by his deliberate unruliness. He explained that such conduct qualifies as holy foolery only if the audience believes that the individual is sane, moral, and pious. The Eastern Orthodox Church holds that holy fools voluntarily take up the guise of insanity in order to conceal their perfection from the world, and thus avoid praise. Some characteristics that were commonly seen in holy fools were going around half-naked, being homeless, speaking in riddles, believing to be clairvoyant, and a prophet, and occasionally being disruptive and challenging to the point of seeming immoral, though always to make a point. Ivanov argued that, unlike in the past, modern Yurduvi are generally aware that they look pathetic in others' eyes. They strive to preempt this contempt through exaggerated self-humiliation, and following such displays, they let it be known both that their behavior was staged and that their purpose was to disguise their superiority over their audience. The Eastern Orthodox Church records Isadora Baranakis of Egypt among the first holy fools. While very little is known of Isadora's life, she is remembered for her exemplification of the writing of St. Paul, that whosoever of you believe that he is wise by the measure of this world, may he become a fool so as to become truly wise. The story of Isadora effectively highlights the Christian ideal that recognition or glory from man is second to one's action being seen by God even if that means one's actions or one's self remains unknown or misunderstood. This ideal was extremely important to the early desert fathers and mothers who recorded Isadora's story. Referenced in all accounts of Isadora is that her madness or possession was feigned or a matter of pretend. The implication being that Isadora's commitment to her faith led her to outwardly act as an afflicted person keeping her true intentions to herself, while inwardly her suffering for the sake of being a fool became an act of worship. At the time Isadora lived at the monastery, it is believed that about 400 women lived and worked there, devoting themselves to monastic life. As a part of the community at the monastery, Isadora remained a type of outsider, known to wander about the kitchen focused on doing every type of menial job to be found. She was commonly referred to as the monastery sponge, 
referring to the fact that she occupied herself by doing the dirtiest of jobs at the monastery. While it was said that Isadora was tonsured, shaved for religious devotion when joining the monastery, she stood apart from the other sisters by wearing a rag, most likely a dish towel from the kitchen on her head. Palidius writes that Isadora was detested to the point that the other sisters would not eat with her, something she purportedly preferred. It was noted that none of the 400 sisters ever saw Isadora shooing or eating a formal meal during the years of her life. Rather, Palidius writes, quote, She never sat at a table, nor partook of a piece of bread, but wiping up the crumbs from the tables and washing the kitchen pots, she was content with what she got in this way. End quote. Suggesting that Isadora subsisted mainly on crumbs left behind from the other sisters and the dishwater she used for cleaning. However, the term holy fool was not popularized until the coming of Simeon of Emesa, who is considered to be a patron saint of holy fools. One of the more recent works in theology is Fools for Christ by Yaroslav Pelikan. Through six essays dealing with various fools, Pelican explores the motive of Fools for Christ in relationship to the problem of understanding the numinous. Quote, the holy is too great and too terrible when encountered directly for men of normal sanity to be able to contemplate it comfortably. Only those who cannot care for the consequences run the risk of direct confrontation of the holy. Unquote. The man who is only wise and only holy interests me about as much as a skeleton of a rare saurian, which will not move me to tears. The insane contradiction, on the other hand, between existence beyond Maya in the cosmic self and that amiable human weakness which fruitfully sinks many roots into the black earth, repeating for all of eternity the weaving and rending of the veil as the ageless melody of India. This contradiction fascinates me, for how else can one perceive the light without the shadow, hear the silence without the noise, attain wisdom without foolishness, crawl young? Another fool for Christ is Grisha in Tolstoy's childhood, boyhood, youth. Callis and Dewey described Grisha as follows, quote, he was an awesome figure, emaciated, barefoot and in rags, with eyes that quote-unquote looked right through you, and long, shaggy hair. He always wore chains around his neck. Neighborhood children would sometimes run after him, laughing and calling out his name. Older persons, as a rule, viewed Grisha with respect and a little fear especially when he suffered one of his periodic seizures when he began to shout and rant. At such times, adult bystanders would crowd around and listen, for they believed that the Holy Spirit was working through him. Theomania is a term used by Plato in his dialogue, Pedrius, to describe a condition of divine madness. Unusual behavior attributed to the intervention of a god, in this work, dating from around 370 BC, 
The Socrates character argues that madness is not necessarily an evil, claiming that, quote, the greatest of blessings come to us through madness, when it is sent as a gift of the gods, end quote. Socrates described four types of divine madness, the prophetic frenzy of the oracle of Delphi and the priestess of Dodona, the gift of Apollo, the mystical revelations and initiations which provide a way of release for those in need, the gift of Dionysius, poetic inspiration, the gift of Muses, and finally, the madness of lovers, the gift of Aphrodite and Eros. One well-known manifestation of divine madness in ancient Greece was in the cult of the Mandeans, the female followers of Dionysus. Aristotle made a famous comment about madness. No great mind has ever existed without a touch of madness. The 6th century Saint Simeon stage Feuerstein Simulated insanity with skill. Simon found a dead dog, tied a cord to the corpse's leg, and dragged it through the town, outraging people. To Simeon, the dead dog represented a form of baggage people carry in their spiritual life. He would enter the local church and throw nuts at the congregation during liturgy, which he later explained to his friend that he was denouncing the hypocrisy in worldly acts and prayers. Michael Andrew Screech states that the interpretation of madness in Christianity is adopted from the platonic belief that madness comes in two forms, bad and good, depending on the assumption about the normal by the majority. They called me mad, and I called them mad, and damn them, they outvoted me. Nathaniel Lee Early Christians cherished madness and being called mad by non-Christians. To them, it was glossolalia or the tongue of angels. Christ's behavior and teachings were blasphemous madness in his time, according to Simeon Podemor. Christ's madness served to sanctify blasphemous madness. Religious ecstasy-type madness was interpreted as good by early Christians in the Platonic sense. Yet, as Greek philosophy went out of favor in Christian theology, so did these ideals. In the age of Renaissance, charismatic madness regained interest and popular imagination, as did the platonic proposal of four types of good madness in the Christian theological context. These were interpreted in part as divine rapture, an escape from the restraint of society, and frenzy for freedom of the soul. In the 20th century, Pentecostalism has encouraged the practice of divine madness among its followers. According to Tanya Lurman, the associated hearing of spiritual voices may seem to be a mental illness to many people, but to the followers who shout and dance together as a crowd, it isn't. The followers believe that there is a long tradition in Christian spirituality where saints, such as Augustine, are stated to have had similar experiences of deliberate hallucinations and madness. And those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. Friedrich Nietzsche 
Other adepts that have attained mad mental states, according to Feuerstein, include the masked and consecrated Sufis associated with Sath. In parts of Pakistan, the behavior of eccentric fakirs dedicated to mystical devotionalism is considered as crazy holiness. In Somalia, according to Sheikh Abdi, Muhammad Abdullah Hassan, eccentric behavior and methods led to some colonial era writers to call him Mad Mullah, crazy priest of Allah and others. According to Sadek Rahimi, the Sufi description of divine madness in mystical union mirrors those associated with mental illness. He writes, quote, The similarities between the Sufi formulation of divine madness and the folk experience of a psychosis are too clear and too frequent among the Turkish patients to be treated as coincidence. In the West African version of Sufism, according to Linda Shoyten, Examples of insane saints are a part of Marabou's team where mad and idiotic behavior of a marabout was compared to a mental illness and considered a form of divine folly or holiness. However, adds Shoytam, Sufism has been accommodating of such divine madness behavior unlike orthodox Islam. They are portrayed as if they are acting mad or crazy challenging social assumptions and norms as a part of their spiritual pursuit, or resulting thereof. The Sufi Islam storyteller Mullah Nasrudi was also said to be a holy fool, and some stories about him circulate, most likely fictional, but this is one I personally like. Once Nasruddin was invited to deliver a sermon, when he got to the pulpit, he asked, Do you know what I am going to say? The audience replied no. So he announced, quote, I have no desire to speak to people who don't even know what I will be talking about, and left. The people felt embarrassed and called him back again the next day. This time, when he asked the same question, the people replied yes. So Nasreddin said, well, since you already know what I'm going to say, I won't waste any more of your time, and left. Now the people were really perplexed. They decided to try one more time, and once again invited Mullah to speak the following week. Once again he asked the same question, do you know what I'm going to say? Now the people were prepared, and so half of them answered yes, while the other half replied no. So Nasruddin said, let the half who know what I'm going to say tell it to the other half who don't, and left. According to Feuerstein, the designation of Avada Huta came to be associated with the mad or eccentric holiness or crazy wisdom of some Parmashma, liberated religious teachers who reverted the societal norms as symbolized by their being skyclad or naked. Avadhuta, or described in the Upanishads of Hinduism, early medieval Sanskrit texts that discuss the monastic Sanayasa, literally house lieber, life of Hindu monks. The Avadhuta is one of the category of mendicants and is described as antimonia. The terms shaken off, one who has removed the worldly feelings attachments, someone who has cast off all moral concerns, 
He is described as someone who is actually wise and normal, but appears to others who don't understand him as mad or crazy. His behavior may include being strangely dressed or naked, sleeping in cremation grounds, acting like an animal, a lunatic storing his food in a skull, among others. According to Feuerstein, the Avadahuta is one who in their god intoxication has cast off all concerns and conventional standards. Feuerstein further states that in traditional Tibet and India, the holy fool or saintly madman has long been recognized as a legitimate figure in the compass of spiritual aspiration and realization. The Bhakti tradition emerged in Hinduism in the medieval era. It is related to religious ecstasy and its accompanying state of trance and intense emotions. According to McDaniel, devotional ecstasy is a radical alteration of perception, emotion or personality which brings the person closer to what he regards as sacred. It may be compared to direct perception or spontaneous thought as opposed to learned ideas. The Bahakta establishes a reciprocal relationship with the divine. McDaniel notes that the actual behavior and experiences of ecstatic may violate the expected behavior as based on texts. While texts describe stages of religious development and gradual growth of insight and emotion, real life experiences may be a chaos of states that must be forced into a religious mold, in which they often don't fit. This discrepancy may lead to a mistaken identification of those experienced as mad or possessed, and the application of exorcism and Ayurvedic treatment to fit those ecstatics into the mold. McDaniel refers to William James, who made the distinction between gradual and abrupt change, while Carl Potter makes the distinction between progress and leap philosophies. Progress philosophies is Yativada, gradual development. Leap philosophies is Ayitvada, sudden knowledge or intuition. Both approaches can also be found in Bengal Bhakti. In religious ecstasy, yogic and tantric practices have been incorporated, together with the idea of gradual development through spiritual practices. For spontaneous ecstatics, the reverse is true. Union with the divine leads to bodily control and detachment. The same distinction is the central in the classic Zen rhetoric of sudden insight, which developed in 7th century China. The path of gradual progression is Satrishaya Dharma, the path of scriptural injunctions. It is associated with order and control, and loyalty to lineage, tradition, acceptance of hierarchy and authority and ritual worship and practice. In contrast, the path of sudden breakthrough is Asatriya, not according to the scriptures. It is associated with chaos and passion, and the divine is reached by unpredictable visions and revelations. The divine can be found in such impure surroundings and items such as burning grounds, blood and sexuality. Divine experience is not determined by loyalty to lineage and gurus, and various gurus may be followed. According to McDaniel, 
Divine madness is a major aspect of this breakthrough approach. In Tibetan Buddhism, tantric, crazy yogis are a part of the Niguma tradition and the Kagyu tradition. The behavior may seem to be scandalous according to conventional standards, but the archetypical Siddha is a defining characteristic of the Nyugma tradition, which differs significantly from the more scholarly oriented Geluba tradition. According to Devalirio, the Tibetan term Nyopa refers to Siddhas, Yogins and Lamas whose mad behavior is symptomatic of high achievement in religious practice. This behavior is most widely understood in Tibet as a symptom of the individuals being enlightened and having transcended ordinary worldly delusions. Their unconventional behavior is seen by Tibetans as a sign of their transcendence of Namtok, conceptual formations or false ideations. While their behavior may be seen as a repulsive form from a dualistic point of view, the enlightened view transcends the dualistic view of repulsive and non-repulsive. It is regarded as manifesting naturally, not intentionally, though it is sometimes also interpreted as intentional behavior to quote, help unenlightened beings realize the emptiness of phenomena or as a part of the yogin's own tradition towards realization. It may also be seen as a way of training to transcend the boundaries of convention and thereby the boundaries of one's ordinary self-perception, giving way to a more immediate way of experiencing the world, a way that is based on the truth of emptiness, rather than our imperfect habits of mind. According to Di Valerio, the term Drupton Yopa is regarded by Tibetans as an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms, and so, an insane person cannot be a Siddha, and a Siddha by definition cannot be insane, at least not in the medical understanding of madness. Di Valero also argues that their unconventional behavior is quote, a strategic, purposeful activity rather than being the byproduct of a state of enlightenment, and concludes that the holy madman tradition is constituted by highly self-aware individuals making strategic use of the theme of madness in the construction of their public personas. In some Buddhist literature, the phrase crazy wisdom is associated with the teaching methods of Shugoma Trunkpa, himself an Iguma and Kagyu master, who popularized the notion with his adepts Keith Dauman and George Furstein. The term crazy wisdom translates the Tibetan term Drubuyon, a philosophy which, quote, traditionally combines exceptional insight and impressive magical power with a flamboyant disregard for conventional behavior. In his book Crazy Wisdom, the Tibetan Tulku Shuguma Trungpa describes the phenomena as a process of inquiring and letting go of any hope for an answer. Quote, we go on deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until we reach the point where there is no answer. At that point we tend to give up hope of an answer, or of anything whatsoever, for that matter. This hopelessness is the essence of crazy wisdom. It is hopeless, utterly hopeless. Since Trungpa described crazy wisdom in various ways, 
Di Valerio has suggested that Trungpa did not have a fixed idea of crazy wisdom. According to Di Valerio, Keith Downwind's The Divine Madman, The Sublime Life and the songs of Drukpa Tkulni is the single most influential document in shaping how Euro-Americans have come to think about the Tibetan holy madman phenomena. Dalman's understanding of the holy madman is akin to the Tibetan interpretations. Seeing the Tibetan holy madman as crazy by conventional standards. Yet noting that compared to the Buddhist spiritual ideal, it is the vast majority of us who are insane. According to Feuerstein, who was influenced by Trungpa, divine madness is unconventional, outrageous, unexpected or unpredictable behavior that is considered to be a manifestation of spiritual accomplishment. This includes archetypes like the holy fool and the tricksters. For those of you curious, I have made a video of the trickster archetype, if you missed it, card up top. Arthur Versulius notes that several or most of the teachers who are treated by Feuerstein as exemplary of divine madness or crazy wisdom are exemplary of immediatism. Those who include Adi Dutch, the teacher of Feuerstein, Ranesha, intermediation refers to religious assertion of spontaneous, direct, unmediated spiritual insight into reality, typically with little or no prior training, which some term enlightenment. Although immediatism has its roots in European culture and history as far back as Platonism, and also includes perennialism, Virgilius points to Ralph Waldo Emerson's as its key ancestor, who emphasized the possibility of immediate, direct spiritual knowledge and power. According to Mirka Eliade, divine madness is a part of shamanism. I state that a pathologist or psychologist is likely to diagnose as a mental illness or aberrant psychological condition. However, state Eliade and Harry Ice, this would be a misdiagnosis because the shaman is in control of the mystic state rather than the psychotic state being in control of him. A shaman predictably enters into the trance state with rituals such as music and dance, then comes out of it when he wants to. A mental illness lacks these characteristics. Further, at least to the participants, the shaman's actions and trance has meaning and power, either as a healer or in another spiritual sense. Entheogenic use is also common in shamanistic rituals. It is even believed that the Oracle of Delphi got her visions from hallucinogenic gas coming from underneath a temple. But I think I would like to cover shamanic drug use in a separate video. But drugs can be used to enter periods of madness an unleashing of the human rationale and embracing of a powerful force. Be silent and listen. Have you recognized your madness and do you admit it? Have you noticed that all your foundations are completely mired in madness? Do you not want to recognize your madness and welcome it in a friendly manner? You want to accept everything, so accept madness too. Let the light of your madness shine, 
and it will suddenly dawn on you. Madness is not to be despised, not to be feared, but instead you should give it life. If you want to find paths, you should also not spur madness, since it makes up such a great part of your nature. Be glad that you can recognize it, for you will thus avoid becoming his victim. Madness is a special form of the spirit, and clings to all teachings and all philosophies, and even more to daily life, since life itself is full of craziness, and at bottom utterly illogical. Man strives towards reason only so he can make rules for himself. Life itself has no rules. That is its mystery and its unknown law. What you call knowledge is an attempt to impose something comprehensible on life. Call Gustav Jung the Red Book. I cannot help but look around at the world and perceive it as mad. But I'm a part of the world I inhabit, so from what objective perspective can I deem it as mad when I have no other reference point? What is madness? What is sanity? Why is it that this ailment of madness primarily seems to only affect humans? It is exceedingly rare to perceive an insane animal, and usually in those cases there are biological reasons for it. No animals are practical, in the real sense of the word. Walt Whitman always envied animals, for they do not lay awake at night weeping for their sins. This peculiar facet of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, seems to have left a deep psychological trauma upon the collective matrix of the human mind. Insanity is possession by an unconscious content which, as such, is not assimilated to the consciousness. Nor can it be assimilated, since the conscious mind has denied the existence of such contents. Call Young. This is how madness begins. This is madness. You cannot get conscious of the unconscious facts without giving yourself to them. If you can overcome your fear of the unconscious and let yourself go down, then these facts take on a life of their own. Call young, Liber Novus. When a patient begins to feel the inescapable nature of his inner development, he may easily be overcome by a panic fear that he is slipping helplessly into some kind of madness he can no longer understand. More than once, I have had to reach for a book on my shelves, bring down an old alchemist, and show my patient his terrifying fantasy in the form which it appeared 400 years ago. This has a calming effect, because the patient sees that he is not alone in a strange world which nobody understands, but is a part of a great stream of human history, which has experienced countless times the very things he has regarded as pathological proof of his craziness. So, what are your opinions of the human state and madness in general? Leave it down in the comment section. See you next time, mortal.
Thanks for listening. See you next time, mortal. You can also find me on Odyssey, Rumble, and BitChute. If you want to follow me on any social media, I have Facebook and a Twitter page. The audio versions of my broadcasts are also available as a podcast. Just search for Library of Gnosis on your podcast provider of choice. I produce everything myself, from research, writing, narration, and editing. All my work is available for free, and I'd like my work to remain as free and open as possible to the masses. But due to the need for advertisers, I will forever be bound to self-censorship. I bet you've learned more from some of my 20-minute videos than you have from a two and a half hour Hollywood blockbuster movie. And in total, I have produced many hours of content. If you have money to spare and want to help me be able to express myself more freely, do consider donating to me to help out, either monthly on Patreon or a one-time donation at PayPal. You can find links in the description to everything. The amazing song in the background is Waiting for the Sun by D. Van, sung by my friend Greger Andersson. You can find them on Spotify and Instagram. Links also in the description. Waiting for the sun Waiting for the sun Waiting for the sun